a Radio 191 FM podcast. Mr. Speaker. Alright, it is Monday morning, it's half past eight, that means it's time for politics, joined by Jeffrey Miller and John Moore. Good morning, Jeffrey. Good morning. And good morning, John. Kia ora Alright, let's get down to it. Um, the, the party of Mark Richardson's dreams has been launched, Sustainable New Zealand, headed by Vernon Tava, uh, formerly of the Green Party. Uh, Jeffrey, who is Vernon Tava um, and why did he leave the Greens? Well, yeah, Vernon Tava is a business broker, uh, and he uh, failed in a bid to become the Green Party co-leader back in 2015. He stood against James Shaw, if you recall, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know he did, I, I guess, you know, get sour grapes a bit after that um, because he didn't win the job, and he's obviously very ambitious. Uh, he also tried to stand for national. Uh, as a candidate, so I think you can see his leanings uh, quite clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, he's come up with his new party. He's been talking about it for the last year. The party seems like it's been launched about three times yes, now, yes. Uh, but officially launched uh, last week, the Sustainable New Zealand Party. And uh, I think this this party could do really, really well. There are a lot of tensions in the Greens at the moment, uh, and you saw the latest sort of uh, update on this yesterday with Gareth Hughes, mm. Green MP, resigning, and he gave quite a, a harsh interview, really, um, to uh, Henry Cook of stuff about uh, the government's progress and said that the government has not been transformational, um, has not really done what it sh- set out to do or what he thought it was going to do. Uh, and I think a lot of this is implicit criticism of, of James Shaw and his direction. Um, you know, And, you know, just one of the... Th- things that's happened recently is the farmers have essentially been let off the hook with the emissions trading scheme uh, and they've been sent off to develop their own uh, alternative plan um, instead and I think for the likes of Hughes this is just not what the Greens are about, they're meant to be radical Um, but on the other hand you do have the Shaw kind of faction who are the more pragmatic business driven Mm -hmm. uh, faction who want to be uh, you know want to negotiate and not and not proposing really great radical change. I think it's better to work within the system rather than change the system, essentially. So you've got these two factions all uncomfortably in the one party, a more radical left-wing faction, more interested in social justice issues Mm -hmm. uh, and so on, and then this more pragmatic business faction that perhaps Shaw uh, kind of epitomises, and Tava as well. Uh, And Tava kind of left the party... Um, you know, for various reasons, but one of them is that he, he thinks it should be more business focused, more pragmatic, and more focused on the environment. And this is his big criticism that the Greens are just not focused on on conservation anymore. So that was a big part of the Sustainable New Zealand's uh, uh, policy platform: a billion dollars going into uh, conservation projects, um, for example. Um, you know, protect, uh, protecting native plants and animal species and so on and, and much there's emphasis on climate change and the radical predictions about climate change uh, so it is quite a different proposition that Tava is offering and I think this could do really well in the, the next election uh, probably not get to 5% I think that's still quite tough but it could certainly take you know a couple of percent away from the Greens next year and then you know maybe build on, on that um, Tava seems like he's in it for the long haul so mm-hmm. we'll, we'll wait and see 
is John, is this the party that National's been waiting for? Um, and is there, you know, a chance that they might do a deal in, in a seat somewhere? Oh, I think it's a party that National is desperate for. They just don't have many friends. And, of course, under the um, MMP system, uh, for uh, either of the three major parties, Labour or National, to get into power, they have to form a coalition, um, unless uh, they were to get above 50% of the party vote, which is highly unlikely. Um, I don't think that this new environmental party will really take off. I think it will act more as a spoiler. So, um, yeah, I have a uh, slightly different perspective than Jeffrey. I just think that the, the people who tend to vote on uh, environmental issues, uh, uh, that, um, whether they're, um, tend to be socially liberal. And, and tend to want a, a political party that's, uh, yes, focused on environmental issues and, and dealing with uh, um, clean rivers and, and, and the um, uh, and global warming, etc. But they also want uh, a number of feel-good liberal policies as well, social liberal policies um, around concerns around, say, um, uh, sexuality, gender, etc., uh, ethnic issues, and, and, and also some... Um, economically progressive policies as well. Um, so yes, um, you had Gareth Hughes, who is um, not going to be re-standing, um, and, and has been highly critical of the Green stance towards um, really, well, an implicit criticism uh, of how the Greens have dealt with this Labour coalition. But that's criticism from the left. The, 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 the problem, and the, I'm sure there's many Green Party supporters who are very disappointed that this government hasn't been transformational and the Greens haven't pushed Labour harder on this. However, what this new um, political party headed by Vernon Tarver is projecting itself as, is, is, yes, uh, pro-environment, but also pro-business. And, and you just can't get round the fact that if you want to deal with um, um, the issues of um, heading towards a zero carbon economy and issues of methane, you really do have to place a whole lot of restrictions on business activity. You can't get round that. And I think anyone who's going to vote um, on environmental issues will recognise that there needs to be, at the very least, some restrictions placed on business activity, especially um, uh, farmers for example, and dairy farmers in particular. So I think, yeah, OK, this, this party might get uh, some support, and it might act as a spoiler. It might take some votes away from the Greens. And because the Greens are in a very precarious position, they're sort of hovering on 5 6%. Um, if, if they lose enough votes, that they just get below 5% of the party vote, then they're out of Parliament. So there are dangers for the Greens with this new party, but I don't... Personally, I don't see Sustainable New Zealand really taking off. Hmm, interesting, interesting. I would have thought there was enough teal voters out there. Um, I mean, I mentioned Mark Richardson before. He's certainly one of those that's on the right uh, that is clamouring for an environmental feel on that side. And I think there's a lot of middle-class, middle-aged people um, that do have a lot of business interests but at the same time do want clean rivers uh, and the like. But we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, do you think it is just going to cannibalise the Greens, uh, though, John, or do you, uh, Jeffrey? sorry, or do you see um, them maybe taking some votes away from National as well? Well, I think just in general, I think this is the best time to launch a new political party in New Zealand since perhaps 1996, since MMP was introduced. Uh, you've got a very clean parliament at the moment, if you like. Uh, you know, if you go back 
10 years ago we had a lot of these very small parties mm. we had united future we had the maori party we had mana party um you know and progressives germanderton they were all there sort of hogging up uh you know airtime if you like and none of that now uh you've got only uh national new zealand first uh labor the greens mm. uh an act in parliament and so uh, yeah, if you're going to launch a political party now, well, you've got New Zealand First tied up in a, a messy government. I mean, government's always messy, and you know, so New Zealand First is busy there in coalition with Labour and and the Greens. Uh, that only leaves you with National and Act outside. Uh, and if you're going to launch a new political vehicle, I think now's the now's the time. And sure, I reckon they can get some votes off of blue green voters. I think they could get some votes off former New Zealand First voters who are a bit disenchanted with the direction. Remember, um, you know, majority of New Zealand First voters would have actually preferred National to have formed the government. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there uh, is dissatisfaction uh, there, and a new political party which is, is seizing on environmental issues but from a different perspective, I, you know, I think it's extraordinary how low the Greens are polling, given all the attention on climate change and the environment, yeah. And you've got the Green Party only on 6% support. So I, I think there's a huge reservoir of, of voters out there who would be interested in a new vehicle. Of course, whether the specific party that Tava's uh, forming at the moment, whether this appeals is another question, and and that's where we will have to see what, what happens over the, the next year or so. Don't forget the New Destiny Church Party. Uh, <laughs> I know you can't forget that one, Jeffrey. Uh, uh, moving along, uh, Bolivia. Um, South American nation of Bolivia uh, is in crisis. The left-wing regime has been uh, kicked uh, out of government after pressure from um, protesters, police, and the military. Uh, it's another um, socialist government in South America that has crumbled. Um, was it a coup d'etat, John? It all depends on what newspaper you read and what website you go on. Uh, it, it's very polarised in terms of how the media is portraying events in uh, Bolivia. So even um, left-wing uh, leaning publications like The Guardian are very hesitant to come out and say this is definitely a coup. Um, Personally, uh, and I think based on the facts and based on what, what a coup, uh, how political scientists define a coup, I, I don't think you can really say it, it, it isn't a coup, um, um, regardless of what you think of Evo Morales and his um, left-wing regime. The fact is that uh, he has resigned and the government has collapsed due to um, three main factors. Uh, one, the police force uh, throughout the country effectively going on strike against the government. Uh, two, um, uh, the opposition being able to mobilise uh, um, fairly large um, amounts of people on the street uh, to pressure the government to resign. And um, three, uh, the, the, the top levels of the military calling upon uh, Evo Morales to resign. Um, and the military has raised um, a new government, uh, which, which uh, constitutionally doesn't have a basis to actually um, form a new government, as um, it was um, Eva Morales' party refused to participate uh, in a vote in the Senate for this new government, uh, didn't, didn't um, attend uh, the Senate um, hearing on a new government, and therefore there's no constitutional legitimacy. But, however, the military's come in and um, the police have backed as well this new government. So I think uh, if this isn't a coup, I don't know what the hell is a coup. Mm. <laughs> 
So what's going on, Jeffrey? And why does this happen? And, and I mean, what's going on all around these socialist governments in South America? Yeah, well, Evo Morales uh, did a lot of good. He was the first president in Bolivia from the indigenous population. And mm. the indigenous population is large. It's much larger than in other Latin American countries. Around about two-thirds of uh, population in Bolivia are indigenous. And he was the first president from this grouping. So, And, and he had did, done a lot of good. Uh, GDP has gone up a lot. Uh, since he was uh, a first elected president, I think back 2006, mm-hmm. uh, and um, yeah, poverty's gone down. Um, he's to some extent ridden a, a commodities boom, um, but he put in the uh, conditions to benefit from that by renationalising uh, oil and gas. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of natural gas in particular in Bolivia. So using this to then put the money into social services. So out of all of these socialist leaders in Latin America, he's arguably been the most, uh, one of the most successful. And if he had just stood down and finished his time as president um, you know, this year, uh, he would have a much better legacy. Uh, you know, he's bundled and been bundled into a Mexican government jet has gone off to mm. exile in Mexico now um, and it's not a very uh, glorious end to his his time and power um, you know and even to get this far to stand in the election he had to uh, kind of fiddle with the rules uh, because there were term limits in place so he should never have been able to stand for this election uh, he held a referendum to overturn uh, the term limits, and that was rejected by the mm-hmm. population. And then he went, you know, and appealed to a, a tribunal which happened to be controlled by his own party, and they said it breached his human rights not being able to stand again. So, um, so that was overturned, and you know, there were no term limits at all uh, as a result of that. And you know, he could have been in power indefinitely. Mm-hmm. And so, like all of these, uh, all of these rulers uh, who get used to power. Um, they think they're indispensable and uh, you know, he, there were increasing signs of a personality cult um, you know a great brand, uh, big new museum uh, showcasing Morales right from childhood was open in his hometown at vast expense uh, big new skyscraper for the government a presidential residence for Morales uh, in La Paz which is a very low rise historic sort of capital and then there's this big sort of new modern skyscraper suddenly in the middle that he was building uh, at, at great expense and a lot of people are still very poor in um, Bolivia I mean despite the progress that has been made uh, you know a lot of people living on just a, a few dollars a day there mm-hmm. um, so you know Morales came from a very humble background he was just a coca leaf farmer uh, he always said that he was going to retire as a farmer uh, but of course you know power corrupts and mm. he got used to it and thought he would like to stay in the job a lot longer um, and um, you know thankfully he has gone though and uh, he did give in quite quickly um, he didn't dig in uh, perhaps he couldn't perhaps he just didn't have the support and he has got out he's gone to Mexico to his credit um, you know and that's more than you can say for a lot of dictators if you like or authoritarian rulers who dig their heels and you only have to look at the Middle East to find examples of this yeah yeah. well if, we, if he doesn't have the backing of the military he can't really dig his heels right I mean he's got limited ability to do that and, and that's you know for the good of the country and um, you know I think that you know Bolivia will uh will will overcome this um the gentleman who is probably going to become the next president is far from a sort of right winger who's going to overturn all of morales's uh big projects um mm. and the um the leader of the opposition party 
uh, is Carlos Mesa. And uh, he tried to nationalize oil and gas back in 2005, failed, resigned because he couldn't do that in the end. Um, but he's quite sympathetic to a lot of the economic projects. He's not from the indigenous grouping, though. And, you know, there is the big difference. Uh, mm-hmm. He's from the minority. But economically, you know, he's actually cut from the same cloth, I think, as Morales in, in many ways. And is not the bogeyman that you might make him out to be. Um, you know, it's very easy to see sort of good, uh, good guy, bad guy. Uh, and it, it's not as, as simple as that, of course. Yeah, but he he's still there after how long as well? <laughs> so he doesn't want to go away either. If he was if he was around in two thousand and five. Yeah, but he I mean he's been the opposition leader. You know, he yeah. he um, resigned rather than not being able to to carry through these these plans. So um, you know there was a lot of opposition, of course, from private investors to the nationalisation. Morales managed to get this through. Um, the nationalisation and it's done a lot of good for for the country. Okay, John. If then if the people that are in control now aren't legitimate, uh, what what's going to happen? Um, well, the fact that, that that the military and the police are backing the new regime uh, means that it will it has legitimacy from those components of the state um, and from mass protests as well. Um, um, so I think it will be able to cement its power. Um, there are arguments that the, the, the mainstream opposition, which, as Jeffrey pointed out, is relatively moderate, has been usurped by far-right elements in the country, um, um, elements in the country that are hostile to the, the indigenous population. Uh, so we see... Um, uh, Giannini Agnes, uh, who, who's been um, one of the politicians who, who, who has been leading uh, the attack on, on Morales and, and, and um, was uh, named interim um, leader of the country initially. Uh, she is very much on the far right and uh, has made um, quite blatant racist comments against the indigenous population, uh, calling the the practices, cultural practices of the indigenous population satanic, for example, and making comments about that uh, city centres aren't a place for indigenous people. So mm. if the military and the police prefer a more far-right government, and if, if the the, the violent attacks we've seen so far against um, Morales' supporters and his movement for socialism, if those um, violent retaliations continue, then then we might see quite a, a, a Nazi regime that wants to, to sort of effectively smash um, Morales' uh, political um, um, structures that he's now left to go to Mexico. So... So, yeah, it could it could turn into quite a sore, uh, nasty environment. Well, it's hopefully not. Um, let's move on to the Brexit elections. Um, uh, Britain that goes to the polls in just 24 days. Uh, the Conservatives with Boris Johnson at the helm uh, are trying to win uh, big so they can pass their Brexit deal. Um, Labour has promised a second referendum. Um, how's the race looking, Geoffrey? 
Yeah, well, there's uh, another round of polls out over the weekend uh, that tend to come out for Sunday newspapers over there in, in Britain. And uh, they have the Tories actually gaining ground, if anything, up to anywhere between 40 and 45% support. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party, anywhere from about 28 to 33%. Now, of course, percentages in the British context don't mean as much as they do here because it is a first-past-the-post system. Nevertheless, you can look at general trends. If you go back to 2015, when you had David Cameron, he won an outright majority for the Conservatives uh, with just a 7% margin over the uh, Labour Party. So he... Uh, the Conservatives back in 2015 won um, an outright majority with 36% of the vote. Uh, Labour won 29%. Um, that is the first-past-the-post system. So they're, they're polling significantly higher than that, and if anything, are on a slight upward trend. Uh, Labour's also polling a little higher, though, and this is coming at the expense of the two smaller parties, uh, the Brexit Party, also Liberal Democrats, mm-hmm. who were doing a little better, but uh, now it's becoming more of a two-horse race as the election campaign gets going uh, and you know you're going to see the first uh, TV leaders debate on tomorrow night in in Britain and uh, you know I think these can be uh, quite important moments Um, the coverage that comes from the debate often is as important as the debate itself so uh, so far neither leader has had a particularly flawless run there's been attention paid to gaffes um, uh, on the campaign trail. Boris Johnson was on breakfast television the other day uh, and was asked, you know, what makes him relatable, mm. which is a really a free hit kind of question. And you'd think Boris Johnson, the natural campaigner, would, would you know, uh, would, would, would not pass up a chance to, you know, to say all the things that make him a man of the people. But I uh, really struggled. Uh, mm-hmm. He was sort of lost for words and mm-hmm. sort of said, what kind of question is this? Uh, and, um, you know, so he hasn't had a, a great start uh, to the campaign. But, you know, the Tories are still doing very well. And I think, you know, you've got this overriding question is, is Brexit. You know, this is the Brexit election. Um, Jeremy Corbyn doesn't want to talk a lot about Brexit because he senses that his positions are not that popular or they're not going to win him the election. So he's trying to talk about other things. He um, promised free in, uh, fibre internet to every home in the country. Wow. Uh, yeah, so like what we've got, but for free. Yeah. Um, to to every household, which does seem uh, quite a populist um, policy and, um, I don't know, a bit of a desperate move, uh, really, is what I can see. But he's already quite to the left anyway and has promised a lot of stuff. So, uh, you know, he's already promised uh, free uh, tertiary education and not just a year or, or, you know, whatever the latest is from Jacinda and and Grant here, but uh, six years free education Mm. Uh, no tuition fees at all, and that was already on the books last time around uh, in 2017. So you know he's got a problem. Like he's already promised a lot, so you've got to come up with new promises. And the free internet is is the latest one, but uh, doesn't seem likely to really um, shift the balance. I would think it is all about Brexit, and you know by now views are fairly entrenched. Which option you prefer? Corbyn's promising a, a, another renegotiated deal. Uh, or the option to remain in the EU, he would put it to a referendum, mm-hmm. um, which is different to his position in 2017, which was to see through Brexit. Um, and Johnson, of course, is uh, has got his deal, his renegotiated deal, and he wants to get this through. So that's what he's offering. Yeah, surely, um, John, if the Conservative win, uh, the Brexit debate is over. That's what the, that's what the people want. You wouldn't even... Essentially, this is another referendum right now. Well, it depends which uh, Conservative MPs get voted back in. 
um, if, if there's a large number of Conservative MPs who are opposed to Brexit voted back in and, and refused to vote for a deal um, for Boris Johnson's deal that he's um, uh, struck up with the EU, um, then again Brexit um, won't happen or uh, will be prolonged. Um, my feeling is that uh, people who are opposed to Brexit, who want to stay in the EU, uh, uh, whether they're coming from the left or the right, um, especially those coming from the right, I think quite a few of them will uh, swallow a few dead rats, so to say, and perhaps vote for Labour, because if, with a Labour-centred government, then there will be another referendum on Brexit. And, and that's really the uh, one of the few avenues that um, pro-EU voters can stop Brexit from, from happening. Um, and I, I think, to be critical of Jeremy Corbyn, you could see his stance here as quite opportunistic. Um, because he's saying that, yes, the, the, uh, the previous referendum should be honoured. Uh, that the majority of country or the majority of people who voted it did vote for Brexit. However, uh, he's calling for a renegotiated deal, uh, which is very Brexit-like, would keep um, Britain essentially in the common market and wouldn't allow Britain, from my understanding, to strike independent um, trade deals with other countries outside of the EU. And then Jeremy Corbyn would um, have another referendum on this question. So, to me, it's, it stinks of opportunism on his part. Mm, mm, interesting. Where's Nigel Farage? What's happened to him? Because he was quite visible in the European election. Uh, he did quite well. Uh, he's, he's been out there quite a bit, um, John, um, but he seems to have faded a little bit in this election. Yeah, well, he, initially he was trying to strike a deal with the Conservatives, uh, that they wouldn't stand against each other in various seats. So uh, I guess the deal would amount to the Brexit Party standing in some seats, um, uh, unopposed by the Conservatives, and vice versa. Um, Boris Johnson wouldn't agree to that. So my understanding is now is that Farage has said his Brexit Party won't stand against the Conservatives at all, which I guess means they won't stand in any seats, that they're essentially backing the Conservatives Conservative Party. Now, UKIP store around, which was Nigel Farage's uh, former party, so I presume they are standing and maybe they will pick up some votes by from um, that part of the electorate that wants a, a hard-line Brexit to happen. And there's also um, a small split-off from um, UKIP for Britain, uh, which infamously... Morrissey supports, I'm very sad to say. Uh, so that far-right party will be standing with some uh, electorates as well. So without the Brexit party standing, maybe um, UKIP and for Britain, yeah, could pick up some votes. Yeah, the, the Brexit party is standing, but they're targeting only now the Labour-held seats particularly in the north of England. So oh, they agreed to, uh, to withdraw their candidates. Nigel Farage unilaterally withdrew the candidates for the Brexit Party and Tory held seats, and they're targeting solely Labour-held seats. And I do think they have got some potential of winning uh, some of these working-class seats in the Midlands and the north of England um, and getting them off Labour, which would be an addition then to the, the, the right total, if you like, mm, yes. the, of, of seats 
in the election. But it also reduces um, the Brexit Party's relevance uh, significantly by not going head against against uh, Tory. Uh, candidates, because the Brexit Party wants a much harder line Brexit deal. They essentially they advocate a no deal strategy in which uh, Britain would just simply withdraw from the EU and be like any other third country would be like New Zealand or, or whatever that trades with uh, um, the rest of the European Union on uh, World Trade Organization terms. Mm. Interesting. All right. Well, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you very much, both of you, this morning, John, Jeffrey. Cheers. Thanks very much. Cheers. That was a Radio 191 FM podcast. You can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found.